Hi, this is Dee Wallace, and you're listening to the Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at GetDeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this special episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor, and I am joined by my son slash frequent guest co-host, Spency Dompies. Glad to have you back, Spency. It's been a while. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. Okay, so today is the first episode of our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober. Every October for the last 13 days, we put out an episode a day discussing horror movies that fall into whatever theme we've chosen. Last year in 2020, the theme was Scariest Movies, and with the assistance of my group of rotating co-hosts, we discussed what are widely regarded as the scariest movies of all time. Now this year, our theme is Zombie Movies. Now, they don't have to be scary, they can be funny, but ever since George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, the granddaddy of the modern zombie film, zombie movies have been wide and varied, from absolutely terrifying to knee-slappingly funny. Spency and I were toying with ideas about the theme for 2021's 13 Days of Hallowtober, and initially, I think we were contemplating doing a movie series like Saw or, or Conjuring, right? Yeah, we were going to start with franchises like The Conjuring, um, the uh, like The Omen, and the Saw movies and stuff like that. Like Friday the 13th, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's better to just do some of these bigger overarching categories and maybe do franchises at different time. Yeah, I, th- I feel that like a franchise is just too much viewing, especially if one of the, the hosts hasn't seen all of the movies it's like especially like friday the 13th <laughs> you'd have to talk to someone who really like knows all those movies or you could just do the whole franchise for that sec that year of hallowtober oh that's a good point yeah we could do that yeah so a lot of ideas a lot of ideas but for 2021 we are doing zombies so uh, one thing I do want to mention is that on this particular series of episodes, just like last year, we're not going to do the usual deep dive that takes us like hour and a half, two hours into the films that we usually do on a single episode of Then Is Now, since we have so many episodes to crank out in a short amount of time. So today, um, Spencey and I are going to just, you know, keep it brief. And when I say brief, it's probably going to be like 40 minutes like last year. <laughs> um, but we are going to discuss one that is terrifying, but very different from most other zombie movies. It's called World War Z from 2013. So sit back and get ready for a fun discussion. Class is in session.
Retired UN investigator Jerry Lane, played by Brad Pitt, and his family are sitting in what appears to be a typical Philadelphia traffic jam when helicopters begin to circle ominously overhead and an explosion throws the city into a panic. In the blink of an eye, the streets are consumed by chaos. When Jerry learns that the catalyst for the turmoil is a highly contagious virus that transforms those who contact it into rampaging maniacs and that legions of the infected are growing on all continents, he agrees to join his former colleagues in discovering the source of the rampant plague so that his wife and two daughters will be guaranteed safety aboard a UN fleet in the Atlantic Ocean. Upon tracing a crucial email to a U.S. military base in South Korea, Jerry learns that the infection has spread more rapidly than anyone realizes. Although a subsequent trip to Jerusalem, where the government has constructed a massive wall to keep the public safe, initially offers hope that the growing horde can be kept at bay, an unexpected breach sends Jerry back into the sky in search of patient zero. Just when Jerry thinks he's traced the origins of the virus, however, the unthinkable happens. Subsequently stranded in Cardiff with a fearless Israeli soldier, Jerry quickly makes his way to a World Health Organization outpost where the few remaining scientists have hit a dead end in their search for a cure. But the struggle is far from over, and after recalling an unusual scene witnessed in Jerusalem, Jerry prepares to make a leap of faith that could prevent the downfall of humanity. So, Spency, first impressions. I really enjoyed it. It was a very different zombie movie than what I've seen. I've heard it described as bloodless, which it very much was, but it still had the enjoyable factors of some of that, those intimate zombie moments that characters have, but it also had very much a disaster movie feel. It felt a lot more closer to this, you know, overarching thing like the San Andreas fault line, like uh, like that movie San Andreas that came out a little while right. ago, or Geostorm, or Greenland, and all those yeah. other big disaster movies. The Poseidon Adventure, the Towering Inferno, you know. Mm. Yeah, I agree, but also, um, and one of the things the, the writers and the director talked about, and we'll get into that in a little bit, um, was that it was, they very much wanted it to be a political thriller, and I definitely got that vibe from this movie. Yeah, having the main character be uh, an unwilling protagonist in the UN investigation of the whole thing, I think, really works. Yeah. It definitely kind of adds a whole lot of, you know, reasons for the character to be at the center of attention the way he is. And because it starts off with the family, it becomes this, you know, we actually kind of care about these people. We don't necessarily need to know their whole life story to, to care, but we right. like them because they seem like a nice, ordinary family who's hit with this amazing, extraordinary tragedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw this first at the drive-in. You were there, right? But I was watching it on a different screen. I yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch it up until just when we most recently watched it for the first time. Right. Uh, and, but I've always, I've, I've seen other things around it. They came out with a World War Z game that very much simulated some of the stuff that went on, although it was a bit more violent than the movie a was. A video game? Yeah. Nice. And it, a lot of the details had to do with, you know, it was very horde-based, very much, you know, just pelting bullets into the horde, which is different from most other zombie movies. Right. Because usually the, co the combat in them, you know, when it comes to things like Dead Island or Dying Light, combat is very intimate, very melee weapon based, whereas in this it's a third person shooter where you're just running around and trying to stop the hordes as best you can. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this film. I thought it was fast paced and terrifying. You know, I didn't mind that the CGI effects were a little obvious or not that great, but for some reason, I don't know, at least for me, I, it kind of worked. I didn't notice at all what was CGI and what wasn't because it was so different like I keep saying, a lot of the zombie encounters in most movies is, if it's horde-based, it's one of those you don't want to get close to them. They're usually slow, for the most part. Sometimes they can be faster, but this was like 
that, like you described it when we were watching the movie as like water, like a tidal wave of yes. bodies yeah. just coming at everybody, and it. It, it was terrifying. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot scarier than like, you know, seeing one zombie in the distance is, you know, is intimidating because you don't want to get attacked or infected, but seeing a horde of them sprinting and like it, this movie did not have that undead feel. It felt like they were more brain dead because it didn't have anything to do with corpses rising from the grave. Right, right. It had everything to do with people becoming infected and becoming just rabid monsters. Yeah, yeah. I still think they were undead because a lot of the scientists were saying that they were undead. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This is different in it's taken the Romero rules but changed it a little bit because changed it a little bit because they're not rising out of the grave. They're they're only turned when infected by a bite. And I think that adds to the factor of a, a bite is definitely a death sentence because people have been seen to turn within seconds and some within minutes. A, and B, it also kind of works because A, A, if you're a dead body, you're probably not going to be very much running, but if you're an infected person who's still right. alive, it kind of makes sense that like they slam their heads on windows and windshields and go right through. It's like, you know, if you're if you're really, really drunk and you're just using your entire bodily force to do right. something, that's kind of how it would go. Yeah. Which is much more intimidating, especially when they're running over each other to climb the walls and just right. get in there. They're like ants. I, that's what I, I said that to you when we were watching it. Yeah. it like, they're like, you ever watch ants piling up on something and getting higher and higher as they crawl on top of each other? It's really, it's, for a PG-13 relatively bloodless zombie movie, this was freaking frightening. I jumped many times, and I've seen it before. <laughs> yeah, there were a few, a few really good jump scare moments, which I did not feel very cheated by at all. You know, sometimes they can just right. be like, wow, I could have seen that one coming. That, right. was, that was kind of weak. <laughs> but a lot of them, you know, they happen so far and few in between that you're not really expecting them. Right. And they set it up well. You're not prepared for it. A lot of times, you know, the person walking through the quiet, dark room, there's a window and a door. You know someone's going to jump out or a cat's going to come through the window. But, you know, in this, you all of a sudden the character turns around and there's a zombie right up their ass. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not very expected. And I think that really works in the movie's favor. They didn't have any, like gore scenes of people getting ripped apart it was violent i mean people were getting run over by hordes right but you didn't witness anybody's guts get spewn out exactly. you didn't witness any any blood spurting out everywhere they even had moments where some of the 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 one-off zombies did get killed but it was completely off-screen death right and i i feel like that kind of works in the favor of it being closer to a disaster movie than it being you know, just another, you know, gore-fest zombie movie. Oh, man, you just gave me a great idea. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a disaster movie, but it was, like, totally blood and guts? Like, <laughs> really nasty rated R. Isn't that what the Final Destination franchise is? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I suppose. It's not really a disaster movie, but, yeah, that's funny. So let's get into our cast and crew here. First, we've got the director. His name is Mark Forster. Now, he's done Monsters Ball, the uh, James Bond film Quantum of Solace, and uh, Christopher Robin, among many others. And I thought he did a great job. I thought the pacing was great. He did describe, as we kind of mentioned a little bit before, that this movie, World War Z, he, he described it as reminiscent of 1970s conspiracy thrillers like All the President's Men, which, like I said, I definitely got that vibe here. But I thought he had a great handle on the movie. I, I really, from scene to scene, it was great. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like any punches were pulled because a lot of the people that we saw that didn't get attacked you know, had reasons for not being attacked. Like, most people were on um, the UN fleet. Right. Which 
makes perfect sense. They're not if right. there's nobody infected on there, you're not going to get infected. Whereas almost every other place that seemed safe was certainly unsafe for one reason or another, and the way it kind of went forward really worked because there were so many characters that we started to like enjoy and things like that and then just tragedy strikes right some people roll their fumbles and it just gets worse (laughs) a little role-playing reference there for you so next up we have our writers now this was a screenplay by uh, a guy's name matthew michael carnahan drew goddard and damon lindelof who was famous for producing lost among many other things from a story by carnahan and j michael straczynski which is also, the story they did is based on the 2006 novel of the same name by Max Brooks. Now, J. Michael Straczynski, of course, is the um, the creative force behind the TV series Babylon 5. He wrote pretty much all five years, I think, except for one script. And um, he's a famous comic book author as well. And um, you can definitely see his hand in this and just the, the logic, how everything flows very well, logically. But... You know, when I was looking at this, I w- at the uh, writers, I was getting concerned because usually when you've got a lot of writers on a movie, it usually means the movie's going to suck because people keep changing things and you have too many hands in it. But I, I don't think that was that was the case here. I thought this movie worked very well from a writing standpoint as well. Yeah, I felt like every character was consistent with who they were and what they wanted. And I really enjoyed um, Brad Pitt's Jerry as this unwilling protagonist. And then things just get worse and he has to step up and be the man to do everything that needs to happen because he's the only one with the skills to do it. Right. I definitely felt like the pacing of the movie went worked because there were these moments of intimate zombies, moments of horde zombies, and then moments of like one-off or none that were just trying to continue the plot. And it also didn't feel like too cheesy or too deus ex machina. Right. Because a lot of zombie films can be like, oh, well, now that we've survived, we've hit the military, we're going to be fine. Right, right. It it definitely wasn't (laughs) like that. It very much felt like, it felt like when, you know, March of 2020, when within five days, the world shut down. Oh, yeah. There was a lot that reminded me of the pandemic. In fact, they even mentioned uh, the Spanish flu of 2018 and how that pandemic in, I'm sorry, the Spanish flu of 1918, I misspoke, and uh, how what was going on in the film reminded them of that. And I just thought that was really odd because everyone's been saying how this pandemic that we're in has, you know, reminded them of the Spanish flu. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's one of the biggest things to do with disease. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously most of the zombies that has to do with things, you know, it can come from anywhere. It can come from this, you know, corpses or people die and then come back or this they've got a supernatural element like, you know, like Evil Dead per se. Right. But, you know, it's it's really definitely feel logical because, you know, um, Brad Pitt's searching after patient zero, right? For every disease, you need to search for patient zero. Right. And it's just really, really interesting how everything is going it, it kind of how everything goes and how he meets everybody. And it doesn't feel like also he goes somewhere and everybody starts to die around him. It right. felt like he goes, so, he goes somewhere just at the time things are starting to sh- shit to hit the fan at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly. kind of the deal. And uh, speaking of Brad Pitt, um, he was of course our lead act 
lead actor as the character Jerry Lane. He's uh, Jerry Lane, the character, is a former UN field agent who's called back into duty to investigate a zombie pandemic to protect his wife and children, as we've established. You know, what can we say about Brad Pitt? He's just a Hollywood legend. You know, he was in such things as Interview with the Vampire, 12 Monkeys, Ocean's Eleven, Inglorious Bastards, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just to name a scant few of the 84 films he's been in. This is the first time I've seen Brad Pitt in something I knew it was Brad Pitt. Right, because you've seen Inglorious Bastards before, but yes, you were younger. But I was a lot younger, <laughs> A, and B, I just don't know him that much as an actor, like, in the sense of what he's done. I don't, like, this is his most famous role in my head, right? because I right. really just don't, don't see him in any other things, but I really enjoyed him, and he thought he did a great job. Oh yeah, with, it, with this movie, I thought he was he was awesome in this. And um, again, you know, you could totally relate to him to his character, uh, like you said before, in terms of you know your family's in danger. What do you do? Like the whole first third, maybe a little bit less of the movie was him and the family trying to escape, and you know you didn't know really where it was going to go. You know how are they going to get out of this? And of course, they end up meeting a. Um, well, well, we'll get into the plot points in a little bit. I just want to talk more about the cast here. We've got Muriel Enos, who played Karen Lane, who is Jerry's wife. And um, she was in The Gangster Squad uh, and the TV series Good Omens, which is based on the novel by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. I felt she did a solid job here, although her character doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do after the first third of the film. She's more like sitting around yeah. waiting, worrying for him. Because at, the, at that point, though, she's kind of like, since she's the matriarch of the family... And it's him, her, and then the two daughters, and he's the only one with the skills to go in and solve this crisis. A particular set of skills. Exactly. So I didn't feel like her role was wasted. I felt like it made sense that once the family was safe, Brad Pitt's character, Jerry, was able to go off in a relatively stable mindset of my family is safe, let's go save the world. Right, right. So, and that was interesting how, how they get him to do that. Um, so moving on here, we've got Daniela Kurt. I'm sorry, Daniela Cortez, who played Segan, an IDF soldier, Israeli Defense Force soldier, who was only identified by that name, and um, it's Hebrew for lieutenant, Oh, which I thought was interesting. And she's the one, she gets her hand cut off after being bitten to prevent the spread of the virus, which that's something we've seen before in George Romero's Day of the Dead, where a dude gets bitten on the arm and they have to cut it off to prevent him from turning. Yeah, that definitely felt like it was... Um, I wouldn't call it a trope because the the way it kind of came out was Brad Pitt at the end of the day, his whole character had to experiment to test the limits of this thing. Right. So when she got bit on the hand or the finger or something and he slices her hand off, um, there's this really neat thing that happens. Every time he thinks somebody's infected, he counts, you know, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, because at the very beginning he saw somebody get infected with about 12 seconds worth of being bitten and then becoming a full infected. And I thought that was a very genius idea for a, for a smart person to do of how do we test the limits of this virus? Well, when something happens, you have to experiment a little bit and test your theory of, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And what was even more genius about the way he figures it out that it takes 12 seconds to turn is the family's running, the girl drops her stuffed animal or whatever, and he grabs it. And the thing is like, it's got some kind of recorder in it or a voice you know, box in it. And it starts counting up to 12 in this, you know, childlike or, you know, geared towards children kind of voice. And so all the sound in the movie kind of goes very, very low. And you, the loudest thing you hear is this thing counting as he's seeing this person 
who's on the ground writhing and, and stuff, and then basically 12 seconds passes, this toy counts, and that's, I think, what helped it stick in the character's head. Exactly. It didn't feel like anything was too planted or too deus ex machina. It just, you know, it just happened to be that. And he, you know, he he took that and really used it to his advantage, which kind of worked. And there's, there's a point where he gets some blood in his mouth from an encounter with a zombie. And he says that and then runs towards the edge of the building they're on. Right. Because he doesn't want to turn and attack his family. So he does the whole count thing. And when he doesn't turn... He thinks he's probably safe. Right, right. And it was funny, too, because when the blood got into his mouth, I wondered about that. Yeah, I guess that just whatever the mechanics of the disease in this fictional universe. But I, di I didn't feel like it was one of those, you could have pointed it out and it was a mistake in the movie. Right. I, it, didn't, it felt like it was intentional, which means, okay, that, that right. makes it much more enjoyable to watch this rather than looking at it and saying, well, wait, what if this happened and... And you know, and they just don't address it at all. It felt right, like yeah. it felt like the the writers definitely thought this whole thing through and thought of the possible questions that people could come up with. Yeah, and addressed it in a matter of twenty seconds. And you know what that made me think, though, I wondered, is he immune? They never really touched on the fact that were there any people in the on the earth that had gotten bit and didn't change. There was this one-off line that I caught that the one of the main doctors uh, towards the first half of the movie said about five percent uh get bit and don't turn oh you're right about five percent and that definitely felt like a ballpark estimate estimate and possibly not even really backed up by facts and just the right. possible anecdotal evidence and mistakes could have been very made so it was very much a you know take this with a a, a whole lot of salt but it was one of those things that you you don't know if that's going to happen and there's a whole the whole detail at the end of the movie about how they start dealing with the with the zombie apocalypse and the the disease mechanics behind it right right is very very interesting and fun and i thought was very creative and i wasn't really ready for it and it didn't feel like any of the those details were missed because it felt like it was set up very well and it felt like it was very much continuity based you know yeah. from the beginning to the end this mechanic was in place. We just had to figure it out in time. Right, right. And I think that's a sign of good writing. Oh, exactly, exactly. And now I just want to point out to the listeners that um, I don't. I don't think you and I both have started the novel World War Z at certain points, but we never actually really read it. <laughs> yeah, I remember the novel being from the perspective of one of the doctors trying to find Patient Zero, and it started as like this plague and. Africa, I think. Yeah. And he, he had met this person and kind of was this almost like a memoir of the war rather than it being kind of just this one 
at character's adventure in, in a novel form. Right. Like the movie is. So I thought that was really interesting. It was almost like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I was just, just going to say I didn't want to really comment on the differences because I don't know the differences. Yeah, I didn't read it, but I remember the beginning. And if, if you know, depending on if any of the changes, I don't know how far they differed from the source material, but it seems like it very well could be the same event just seen differently. Right, right, which exactly. Which is, once again, I think a sign of great writing. Oh, yeah. And, and a great, you know, great respect to the source material. Right. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash then is now podcast. Enjoy. Um, two other actors I just wanted to make sure I, I brought up in this show. Uh, one was David Morse, and he played the ex-CIA officer who was imprisoned for selling weapons to assist North Korea's offensive on the zombies, which was a cool scene because he basically describes that the, the, the government ripped out the teeth of the entire population, thereby stopping the spread of the virus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a solution. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is known for being General Hummel's assistant in the great action film The Rock. Remember him? Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, He's been in tons of stuff, man. He's been in The Green Mile, uh, Contact, 12 Monkeys. He's one of those character actors that y you've seen his face a thousand times. I don't really register him, but I, I can imagine <laughs> that I've seen yeah. him in things. Well, you don't pay attention to character actors, too, I think. It's, well, it's hard when I don't... When <laughs> A, I don't know them. B, I don't know them from a lot of movies. That's Obvi true. Obviously, yeah. like, they're... Like, um, Peter Capaldi makes a an appearance as oh yeah so that he was next on my list yeah. I was gonna mention him as a, as a who doctor and as soon as I saw his face I called it out I'm like is that is that Peter Capaldi <laughs> and we only saw it for a second and then he finally starts talking and I'm like that 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 very well might be Peter Capaldi <laughs> <laughs> yes and I was gonna bring him up it's it's actually a huge bit of irony here Peter Capaldi who as uh, Spencey said was one of the who doctors. Who obviously stands for World Health Organization and is used in this movie that way, but he is most notable for playing the twelfth Doctor on the long-running British sci-fi series Doctor Who, in which he um, he did after this movie. I think it was a couple years after this movie came out, and uh, I just thought it was ironic that he played Doctor Who and he's listed here as Who Doctor, and I'm sure that irony is not lost on him in real life. <laughs> I, I wonder how many people ask him about that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Did you know going in that you were going to be Doctor Who? But, um, you know, and I liked his character. It was a small role, but I thought it was very pivotal in the story, or very pivotal to the story, I should say, in terms of helping Brad Pitt to achieve one of his goals. Yeah, and it didn't feel like they were, you know, 
some paranoid scientist who saw this whole thing coming. They're just, you know, epidemiologists who are boxed in like everybody else. And, you know, they end up saving a couple characters' lives because they're doctors. Right. And, you know, it, it very much felt like felt like they were the perfect kind of people to be where they where they needed to be. Yeah. And it, once again, like nothing felt out of place in this movie, which I really enjoyed. My favorite parts of the movie were just watching the hordes run over people. Yeah. <laughs> and the aerial shots of some of these hordes, first of all, must have been extremely fun to film. Oh, yeah. Second of all, were absolutely horrifying from just, once again, just seeing how this would affect the rest of the world. Yeah absolutely terrifying oh yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> it, it, it was very scary um it grossed over 540 million against a supposed production budget of 190 million uh making it basically the highest grossing zombie film of all time and as we talked off mic it's i think it's mostly to do with the fact that it's pg-13 right and you can take you, you can take your you know your your tween your young teen to yeah. come and see a disaster movie because yeah is it violent absolutely but it, at the end of the day the violence is akin to any action movie any fast and furious movie right. would have more violence than this one and this right. one is very <laughs> very very good about not being like graphic in that sense I, like i keep saying it, bloodless zombie movie i'd never seen anything like that before oh yeah so i thought pulled it off i thought the horde view of things was very very fun and very very good but they didn't they didn't lose the intimacy that came with seeing one of them up close the makeup right. and the the special effects when it came to actually having the the um the zombies up yeah. close was super super awesome i thought you know props to that department a and b for all the extras acting as the zombies this was great <laughs> you know one thing i really liked about this movie too was the fact that they used the word zombie in there even though like one of the soldiers at one point calls them zeeks instead of zombies a lot of times when they're referred to as zombies in films it comes across as really cheesy but it it just somehow worked in this they movie. address that though with this they address that like right. wait an email went out saying the word zombie and the world panicked <laughs> and it's like, are they really undead? Is it, you know, really, what is this? And they start really questioning it. And it sounds really corny to the doctors, even as soon as they first heard it, until there becomes some real up-close interactions with them, and it's just the right. only word that applies. Right, right, exactly. Especially because the way the governments of, of certain countries found out about it with in their communications, zombie was more than just this English word that kind of became popularized for the, the outbreak. It was used by... Um, it was used by India right. to describe this, what this thing could be, and it just kind of, you know, took off from there. And I felt like it, it worked, and because they addressed it as sounding so corny and silly for at least at the point in the movie they were at, I felt like it really worked. And plus, it kind of gives it the title of World War Z. Right, yeah. I think that kind of works. <laughs> I really think that works. Um, well, I just wanted to touch back on the, on the budget for a brief second here. I read conflicting things, and I've read, of course, the $190 million was the budget. I also read it it was 125 million and then somewhere else it said it was upwards of 296 million. So I don't know what the actual budget of this film was. Uh it's hard to say, but they did say they a sequel was announced shortly after the film's release, but in February of 2019 it was canceled uh, reportedly due to budget issues. So I don't know if <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the story is there. I mean, yeah, I suppose if you they probably couldn't figure out how much money to spend on it for some reason or another. Right, right, exactly. 
You know, it's funny, too, when we're talking about the author, Max Brooks, who wrote the book, he basically said he had zero control on the film, but he really liked having Brad Pitt, and he expressed, of course, approval for Straczynski as a screenwriter. Brooks is quoted as saying, I can't give it away, but Straczynski found a way to tie it all together. The last draft I read was amazing. So, All right, then. So we can only assume that's the, that's the draft we saw on screen. Yeah, yeah. Which I... Can I keep saying it again? Very different <laughs> zombie movie than I think what Damon, I was ready for. Yeah, oh yeah. And I think Damon Lindelof did do a somewhat of a rewrite of the ending. But um, but yeah, overall, it was just a solid script. Yeah, and it didn't feel like it was this one complete circle of we see the beginning of the disaster, we see the end of the disaster. All we saw were the critical moments of how we were going to deal with this thing. Which really kind, of, I felt like it kind of worked. We all we got to see was really Brad Pitt's story of him trying to protect his family and then eventually being drafted to save the world. Right, and I wanted to get into that a little bit. Um, I but I wanted to say too that I really liked his character, Brad Pitt. He wasn't an Indiana Jones or a James Bond. He was sort of just this regular dude that had skills because he had been an investigator for the UN. But he did. He rarely used a gun. He only used a gun a little bit in the movie, and he more relied on his wits. Even you know. Not only to get out of situations, but in confronting the zombies as well. And in keeping him and some of his compatriots just sane. Because when he's trying to escort one of the doctors, he talks about, you know, just focus on their boots and their words. Just listen to them and they'll keep you safe. Yeah. As in trust the professional soldiers and the elite, you know, Navy SEALs, I think, that were going with them. Right. And that's kind of just one of those small details that you just can only see from a character with experience. Right. And experiencing things that they kind of, they mentioned, they mentioned some political crises that he had been, you know, an investigator for previously, which I didn't register really personally because I was a little kid when those things happened, something in 07 and 03, but I still felt like it kind of worked and you could kind of, you got the sense that he just did not want to go around, you know, killing and get back into the fight. He just wanted to get this job done and find out the information he needed to get out. And that's the thing too. We've been we've been alluding to is um, first of all, by the way, uh, folks, as you may already know, there's a spoiler disclaimer at the beginning of the show, so we may end up spoiling the shit out of this. So make sure you go watch the film. <laughs> we'll try not to spoil. Yeah, I'm too, not, too much. I'm gonna try but... not to spoil the actual <laughs> big thing that goes on, the climax of the film. Right. Yeah. We, all right. We won't. I don't. Won't do I don't want to spoil that because I think it's very, very <laughs> unique and not something I really see in zombie movies right personally i've seen you know a few of them and at the end of the day it becomes this you know how can we get out of this situation to safety whereas at the end of the day brad pitt's family got the safety in the first third of the movie right so it then became this we have to get more information and deal with the crisis at hand and and that's the thing too now so they get onto the aircraft carrier and they're basically trying to draft him into service to help you know, solve this crisis. And he says, no, I've, I'm done with that life. I've retired. And they're like, okay, well, you know, you and your family can get off then. And it's at that point that he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Just as long as the wife and kid are safe. But then later on, they think he's dead and they boot the wife and the kids off the boat. Yeah. It was one of those things (laughs) that felt like it was inevitable. I was irritated by that. I was pissed off. I'm like, what the fuck? It's the last vestiges of humanity, and you're gonna throw them to the to the wolves, so to speak. You know? Yeah, I. You can have your opinions on it. At the end of the day, <laughs> the, it that's kind of part of the political thriller aspect of this movie. Of you know, how are they dealing with civilians? Right. There's a right. whole big thing about essential personnel versus non-essential personnel. Yeah. And who who's gonna get you know resources like food and water, especially on a boat? Right. Right. Exactly. 
So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, he he. I like the fact too that he was a detective chasing the clues around the world. It was, it was almost like a role playing game in the sense that you know of what he was doing and how he, you know, where he had to go. You know, find this clue leads you here. Then oh, that didn't work out. But wait, I got another clue. You go go to Israel. You know. Yeah, and then there was moments where you know there's no. There, there isn't a, a crisis of zombies at hand, so he does some, you know, mental puzzle solving, right? Which I thought was great, and I really wasn't, I was, I didn't fully understand what he was trying to solve, and I didn't feel like, you know, it was, the movie was keeping me out of the loop. I felt like he was figuring something out that if I didn't get it now, was going to be spelled out in a second, right? Which it was, yeah. And I thought it was, I thought it felt perfectly fine, you know, especially when then you go back and rewatch it. I imagine I'll be seeing things like, oh wow, look at that one, and look at that, like that has to do with this later thing that they establish in the movie, yeah, yeah. kind of deal. And they did, they did a pretty good job at the beginning with, um, like, when him and the family are on the run, their car gets wrecked, they managed to steal this kind of little, uh, it wasn't a Winnebago, but it wasn't a van either. It was sort of like a, a small kind of a camper. Yeah. And, um, they you know, they managed to, to get to a pharmacy because the daughter's having an asthma attack. Yes. And they needed to inhale the albuterol, whatever. And... Um, you know, I liked that. I liked that whole scene where the people were looting the place, and uh, it gets a little horrific at one point. But they managed to keep it PG thirteen, but still drive the point home that scares the shit out of you. I don't, I don't want to say what happens there, but yeah, it, it was one of those things where it got, it got to a point where you saw a cop, and um, of course there was a, a rifle in Brad Pitt's hand, and yeah. he's like, "Oh no, you know." I was defending my family when I had to discharge the rifle, and the cop just walks right by him. So yeah. He, like, barely acknowledges his existence and goes for the supplies that he needs. Right. That's Which when was... you know society has really gone downhill. Oh, yeah. And the first thing he goes for, the one thing he goes for is, like, baby food and diapers and all that. Yeah. So that, that was kind of cool. Makes you, makes you scared for right. him and his family now. Right. And it reminded me of, you know, in the real world here, back at the beginning of 2020, when, you know, people were, were buying up toilet paper in... in by the ton, you know? Yeah. Which, it was funny. I, all right, uh, this is a little off topic here, but speaking of that, it just reminded me, a few months, I guess I'm going to say like December of 2019, I had seen an article, because we knew COVID was out there. We knew something was happening with this COVID thing, but mm. we really didn't take it seriously. And um, there was an article about, in Florida, how there was a huge run on toilet paper, like BJ's, which has shit tons of toilet papers, were running out. And I, uh, you know, our friend Mike lives out in Florida and I, I messaged him and I said, dude, are you, uh, you know, are you okay? What's going on? And he had no idea. He didn't even, he hadn't even heard of it. So I said to my wife, you know, I think we really need to start buying up some toilet paper. And she's poo-pooed the whole idea. She's like, oh no, no. And I'm telling you, man, by March, she was like, you know what? You were right. We should have bought toilet paper. (laughs) Yeah, and it, it, to be fair, I mean, there's a little we bit of a difference. Out, we were okay. <laughs> there's a difference between, you know, a, a disease that is creating killers versus right. a disease that is just doing the killing. Yeah. You know, there is there is a fine line of, you know, at, for the most part, I wasn't too worried about the survival of most people unless they had the disease. Right, but the, what, was, what was concerning me was that the fact that we would start to run out of supplies and people would start to get desperate and you would have that kind of looting, not just of stores, but then of people's houses. And that's what that 
that scene struck a chord with me about yeah it was definitely one of those like disaster moments of everybody fending for themselves and i think that's a different brand of horror than seeing a monster and running from it right that's a very different it was a very very personal thing because we saw zombies at the beginning we saw saw a couple people turn absolutely and some people get ran over by a horde but then there's a good chunk of the movie that's just this familial drama of trying to avoid the the bloodthirsty killers and then avoid the the people right yeah exactly very very scary very very uh, you know character centric and i don't think that's a bad thing for a movie like this oh yeah no it was i think that that worked to its strength i'm not a fan of disaster movies i've always found that disaster <laughs> movies can be really boring especially when the ending is relatively black and white of the main character dies or the main character doesn't there isn't a whole lot of safety <laughs> at hand so i really wasn't I really am not a fan of disaster movies for the most part, but this one definitely, yeah, definitely felt really, really good in the sense of like, <laughs> there might be a cure, there might be a vaccine, there might be camouflage, there might be a way to fight them that's beyond using bullets. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because this the uh, the outcome of this is very up in the air. Yeah, especially because the source is just as up in the air. Oh, exactly, exactly. Now the music in this movie um, was made by a guy named Marco Beltrami, and you've seen his name on so many different movies and TV shows. Um, I'm just going to mention some of the things that he did, which would be uh, Live Free or Die Hard, Blade Two, Max Payne, Jonah Hex. And he even did the prequel film to John Carpenter's The Thing in 2011, which was, oddly enough, also called The Thing. And um, I felt the music really punched, punched it up in the right places, but it, it, um, it definitely slowed down when things were in the quiet parts without manipulating the audience. You know, sometimes it can be like, oh, this is the scene where I'm supposed to cry, or oh, this is the scene where I'm supposed to laugh. And I thought the music was way more subtle than I didn't feel like it was using me. Yeah, exactly. And there was a big point I noticed where the music was either really faded out or all but gone when we were hearing some of the 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 smaller hordes and the one-off zombies do their little like groans. Yeah. That was a big thing of like actually trying to get us into the horror of what, what was happening to these now dead people. Yeah. I felt like that kind of work, you know, when the, when the family is running and driving and there's a horde and it, it becomes this massive thing, the music kicks up and it does really, really great job of keeping, keeping the tension high. Yeah. But then when they didn't need to have music, instead of having ominous music in the background, they just let the sound speak for themselves. Yeah. Which I think is a big deal in movies. Oh, absolutely. When you when you let the strength of the the scene itself stand. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that. I was I noticed that I was like, oh wow, that's that makes it ominously creepier. <laughs> it's almost like the sound guy got bit. Right. <laughs> now he's out of there. <laughs> like in Spaceballs. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when they kill one of the crew members. Right. But yeah, the and the and the, the like you mentioned the um the guttural noise that these zombies make was just like. It was this, uh, I don't know if I can do it or not. Oh, like, God. Like, it was right from the back of the throat. Like, maybe their their throat's closed up or something, you know, or yeah, dried up. The, it felt like they were predators, but they didn't have any plans. Right. That's really what it felt like. Like, they were just natural animalistic predators that were just going to chase and eat. And that's what they were going to do. And it almost didn't even feel like their noises were intentional. Right, just like yeah. they just lost most bodily function, except the baseline <laughs> of you know chase after a healthy host and essentially spread the disease. Right, 
I don't know if anybody has watched Fringe. There was an episode oh, yeah. of Fringe where they had this disease that in, infected this um, this building, and it would change people's behaviors of you know instead of walking into a building and trying to infect people and and having the the spores sprout everywhere, it became this ha- pushing people to want to get out, right. to increasing their exactly. desire to 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 get out of the building and into the fresh air. Yeah. Something like that. And I, I felt like that was definitely what was going on because they addressed that later in the film of their whole goal is to just spread and not just eat people. Right. Because yeah. not too many people got ripped apart. It was one of those, you got bit, you are now infected, you are no longer a target for, right, right. for the whore. <laughs> so, uh, Spence, final thoughts on World War Z and would you recommend this to people your age? I enjoyed it as a disaster movie and as a zombie movie. It was one of the most unique I've ever seen, given all of the the finer details that came on. I thought Brad Pitt did an excellent job as the the main lead and as a dad and as the kind of, almost like an action hero and a detective at the same time. Mm. Um, I felt like the effects of the movie did perfectly fine. I didn't notice any problems. In fact, it was one of the cooler effects I've seen in a movie where it's just these hordes of people <laughs> slamming into each other that look like ants or water or like a tidal wave of bodies. It's pretty right. scary. Um, so I don't think that people my age who are, at the end of the day, people my age are spoiled with special effects. Yeah. And it, it happens to me too. I don't really want to sit through a movie from the 60s and the effects are harder to look at just because of the quality. Um, so it happens to me too. But I think this movie does a really good job of what it's trying to do. And to walk into it expecting a zombie disaster movie is exactly what you get. Exactly, exactly. I, I loved it. I, I had forgotten how engaging it was. You know, I've seen it a few times over the years and since the theater, and um, it, it definitely has that old school monster movie feel. I really felt. Um, I thought the cast was solid. Um, it, it literally the 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 movie grabs you from the beginning and doesn't let you friggin' go until the end. Man, there was so many scenes where I was didn't realize I was holding my breath until the scene was done, and then I would take a breath and be like. <sighs> Oh my god! Yeah, when it co- <laughs> I've played enough horror games to find that movies are less engaging, which sometimes that means some scares don't get me nearly as hard. Yeah, but there were some moments where I'm like, I don't want anyone in this family to get hurt. Yeah, and so you know that kind of that kind of mattered to me. Right, and there's tons of moments where other side characters maybe had something happen to them or had their own experiences, and it kind of showed. Right. You know, they were they had their own, you know, people dealt with their own tragedies, A, and B, got away from their own threats in probably some of the more horrific ways. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's some families we saw were like, oh, we're totally safe. We're we're going to be fine. And then one of the <laughs> one of the family members comes out later like, yeah, that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> it's pretty scary. You know, it's very, very intimate while also being this big disaster film. Right. Which works. And had this been a rated R gore fest um, it, back in the 70s, my parents still would have taken me to see it. But I think for today's generation, everybody, all these kids are so sheltered. Um, it This movie is uh, pretty decent, I think, for young adults. You know, from twelve on, I think can handle this movie. Yeah, I think if you can if you can handle a you know a, a scarier monster movie that yeah. isn't super graphic, then you, this is perfect right up the alley of that. Exactly. There's no gore. There is some blood, but not a lot. And there's not a lot of swearing. I I think no, just a I little didn't, bit. I didn't think there was a whole lot of profanity going no. on. I, zero to none of any kind of nudity or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah. No, none of that. Which, in my opinion, that can ruin most movies. Right. It all depends. So yeah. so I, I was very, very comfortable with that. Yeah. And a lot of the... There was a lot of chunks of violence that didn't have to do with zombies. It just had to do with people being scared and 
right. trying to survive the the apocalypse as right. at once society collapses in the ten seconds it takes for a horde to build. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that kind of was one of those things that I thought worked in in the movie's favor as well. So if you can handle some basic action, this movie will be great. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today for our special 2021 13 Days of Hallowtober series. Remember, our theme this year is zombies. And, uh, Spencey Dumpies, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. Now, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And that reminds me, Spence, you were on the first episode of East Meets the West. you got to come back and do another one with us sometime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Shaw Brothers are not my, not my favorite movie makers. Oh, um, and films and westerns are not, western films are not my favorite either. But we'll, I'll come back for something. <laughs> yeah, we'll pick some good ones. You, you don't know what you're missing out on. It's, uh, <laughs> it, they're so good. And also, Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos, as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page, and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends, and get them to subscribe as well. And don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. This now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the in the blink of an eye the streets are consumed by chaos i almost said chouse <laughs> <laughs>